real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by a new sponsor, Captivate.fm. Are you considering starting your own podcast? The first thing you are going to need is a podcast host. The podcast host I use and recommend is Captivate because they focus on growing your audience and show. Some of their features include unlimited podcasts and storage, web player calls to action, one-click sponsor kits, private feeds, promo links, link shorteners, detailed analytics, integrations, and more. Plans start at just $17 a month. Start your free seven-day trial at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash get captivated. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash get captivated. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today has been in sales for more than 20 years across many different industries, and he is the founder of Sales Market Fit. Welcome to the show, Gavin Tai. Hey, Sarah. Nice to meet you. Well, thanks for coming on the show today. Can you give us a little bit of your background and how you got into this area? Well, uh, Sarah, yeah, so my background is sales. So I've done sales in many different industries from back in the day, mobile phones to working at Blockbuster Video when it was around to selling carpet cleaning, then to selling blue collar recruitment services, and then moving into software as a service, B2B SaaS specifically. Now I'm also, as well as a founder of Sales Market Fit, I'm also the head of growth and partnerships for an Australian enterprise SaaS company called MyPass Global as well. So I'll do this every day, passionate about it, and definitely a practitioner of sales. You said MyPass Global? Is that a transportation app or something? Or It's a, it's a digital passport for workers uh, in the field. So it's about streamlining how a worker would interact with their employer. And, and namely, we've started in oil and gas here in Australia, but it's we're moving into healthcare and volunteering and mining and complex manufacturing. It's about streamlining the process of a subcontractor engaging with their client, like an asset owner, and then also making it more efficient for an, a worker to share worker credentials with their employer. And, and remove silos of information and inefficiencies within the supply chain. My specialty is selling high-value B2B SaaS. So I'm, I'm not a technical person, but I come from an operations standpoint. And if you think about, there's different industries in the world, obviously, like that have been around for a long time, like car sales and real estate sales, even large enterprise sales from SAP standpoint or things like that. But Enterprise B2B SaaS sales is relatively new because five to probably be about six years ago, most companies, organizations had a global no cloud policy because cloud was only, is only relatively new in a commercial sense for a large enterprise. So I started about seven years ago before the no cloud policy and really learned how to sell B2B SaaS with a high ticket value of $20,000 to $40,000 a month in a previous company. And with such high value, it really shows flaws in the sales process and how people buy to improve that experience for both the company I work for, but also more importantly, our target clients as well. Really, at the end of the day, I was responsible, along with the founder, 
whether that company I was employed for was succeeded or failed. If I couldn't figure out a way to sell, we'd run out of runway and the company would fold. And luckily that didn't happen because I solved the, the problem. So I was looking at your website and there was something about selling being different now because the buyer is sophisticated or more sophisticated now than they used to be. Can you kind of explain that a little bit? So if we go back before when a salesperson, you would have traveling salespeople, sales were largely built on relationships. So there was one person who would go around and they would know all the CEOs or all the buying personas in a business, and they would largely get opportunities to sell uh, within a business. So they would be able to share information about their company they work with in a way that they wanted and really craft the message. Now it's changed where there's so much access to information that the buyers can easily draw their own conclusions to what they want before they engage with you. If you think about it from your own perspective, Sarah, if you want to go buy a car, you, you don't call a salesperson straight away. What you do is you do your research online. You'll go and look at three or four car companies and oh, you first understand what you want. So you'll have a problem. You know what problem you want, then you'll do your research. So you'll do requirements gathering. And then once you're ready for that, then you might go narrow that down to two or three or one or two. Then you'll engage with the salesperson. You're almost 70% through your buying journey before you even engage with a salesperson. And that presents a real problem for B2B startups or even new consultants or, or new coaches online is because by the time someone finds you, if you're, if you're not proactive and looking for them, their mind is largely made up. So they're really only coming to you for pricing or confirmation and you really have a limited ability to create value or differentiate yourself because they have full, reasonably fully formed ideas. So that's where they're becoming more sophisticated. They're drawing their own conclusions well before they get to you. So in order to change that, we need to go back further into the buying journey. And that presents a whole different range of problems because typically the sales process is you want to go back, qualify the buyer, see if they've got the problem, see if they're actively looking to solve it, and then you dedicate your time to it to bring them to a sale. But if you wait for that to happen, if they're actively trying to solve it, they've already got a reasonably fully formed idea. So they're already halfway through the buying journey and you're in the red ocean or in the playing field within competition that's been around for such a long time before you or potentially a long time before you, you're at a disadvantage. So you need to outthink the competition and go back further into their buying journey and shape their thinking and lead them through and be more influential on their buying journey and actually know the journey that they'll go on to get to a position to be able to buy. And that changes with the different types of markets, different type of people you engage with as well. So how does one go about doing that? I guess I'll use my business for an example. So I recently launched a podcast production agency. So I guess if you want to use that as, as an example, or if you have another example, that's fine. How would you, first of all, know who specifically you need to talk to. I mean, I have a general idea, obviously, either people who have podcasts or people who are thinking about it, but th that's not going to always be clear if they don't already have one anyway. Mm -hmm. If they're thinking about it, that's not always going to be clear. And then how do you, I guess, kind of like what you were talking about as far as kind of getting ahead of the, going back to the beginning of their journey versus them get, being at the mm -hmm. point where they're 70% decided. I understand your predicament there with how do you reach the people who, how do you reach the people that may want to start a podcast? But what I would recommend is understanding who your target markets are and the buying personas within those markets. Now, first and foremost, what does a podcast solve for a business? Starting a podcast is the what, but if we go to the Simon Sinek video of the why, the how, the what, 
why is starting a podcast important? It's common for founders of businesses or salespeople of businesses or people who work within a business to think about sales from inside looking out. So like from our perspective looking out, and it's natural, we do it in our own world. Like I've got to go to the shops, I have to go to the doctor, I need to go and organize dinner. But in a sale, there's two perspectives. There's our side and then the potential buyer side, whether that be one person, two people or a buying community, whatever that is. So we need to actually think about is what outcomes does a podcast give? What are the problems? Why is it important that they start a podcast? Because it bigger reach, it gives us access to maybe our buying personas are CFOs. So maybe I could start a podcast for CFOs or maybe I it's for coaches to interview CEOs because they're our target client or something like that. It gives you access and visibility to them. Okay. Well, then who are the... Once you understand that gives us visibility, well, what's your challenges? And ask you different questions. All of a sudden, you're not speaking about the podcast. You're speaking about what are your problems in getting access to your target clients within a business. Well, I can't get them interested in talking to me. Okay. Well, what have you tried? Well, I try to out cold outreach them, but they're not interested. Okay. Well, consider podcasting and talking about this topic and that might give you better access to them. Okay. Well, that that's a different conversation then. Whatever that topic that may be relevant to a CEO, you can interview them, leadership, building a brand, growing a team from 50 to 150 employees, they're all skill sets of largely of a CEO, maybe not the marketing, but if they want to get access to their target markets, then you can use podcasting for that. So that's why it's important to access the CEOs. How you do it is with podcasting and what you do is we interview them about growing the business. So it's, a, it's changing the perspective and considering why would the CEO want to come on a podcast in the first place? And then working back from there as, as an example. I guess I've so, thought about that in a sense, a more kind of a broad perspective. But yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I appreciate that. What the challenge with online is people typically, like I mentioned before, they have a, we all make decisions the same way and businesses are made up of people. So they still make decisions the same way. It just gets more rigid as an organization grows. So what we have is in our world is we have a problem that we want to solve or something we want to gain. Then we'll go and look, we'll go, what do we need to do to solve that? And then we'll go look at solutions, then we'll gauge with the market, then we'll buy. When I bought a drone recently, I was like, well, what do I need a drone for? Okay, that's what I want. Well, what what's out there that has that? What do I need? And I was like, okay, that's what I want from DJI. I'll engage with a company here in Australia and then I'll buy. But selling online is different, especially if we want to differentiate ourselves. We have to present the solution, but then we what's a common mistake is we present the solution and then we try to sell straight away. When I was working for this high-value SaaS is you have to present the solution, but then go backwards and still work on the problem. Hey, I'm Sarah. Can I help you start a podcast? Do you want to buy? You've missed the problem. Hey, I can help you create a podcast to give you more access to X, Y, and Z of your target markets or whatever outcomes you're trying to achieve. How are you doing that today? What's your return on investment? Did you know a podcast, if you're a guest or if you you create your own podcast, you could have this much access to CEOs? No, that's far more efficient than your current process. Wow, the cost of the podcast of the course is actually quite efficient to what I'm doing now. All of a sudden, you define the problem, give it context, and then they're ready to move off that current state to buy. That gives me ideas for mapping out, you know, because I'm probably going to have to be on sales calls and things like that. That gives me kind of an idea of the order to approach it and things of that nature. So I'll, I'll give you an example of how this works in a larger B2B. In my previous role, we had a really disruptive engineering drawing comp- management company, but people were saying, this is a game changer. Like this will change our business. The interest, I come from the traditional world of sales. Are, hey, we have this do you want to buy? Yes. 
And people were saying, this is going to be a game changer, but they weren't moving forward. And I was like, well, why aren't they moving forward? And I was like, they can't give context to the problem. I have to make it impossible for them to sit in their current state. For instance, some, one one ticket price, a common ticket price was $40,000 a month for five-year term. So something like $2 million plus implementation was closer to $3 million, which was the total contract value. What I had to do is turn that $40,000 a month problem into $400,000 a month. So I needed to use my expertise in understanding the problem space into quantifying it through a calculator or a risk matrix in this case, because it was for asset management and engineering, but presenting it in a way that they were familiar with to go, wow, this $40,000 per month is a great solution for $400,000 or $800,000. That's a 10x return on investment. First and foremost, I can't waste this much money anymore. Okay, now I need to move out of this state. It's uncomfortable. I need to move forward to look for a solution and then show the value. So my advice to you is if you help someone do something, measure their current state of not doing it. Find out a way is what's your opportunity cost of doing it. It's not so much the time, but if you're doing it in an efficient way, if you can't get access to one CEO a week or one every fortnight and you're having str- struggling to do that, you're not building rapport, what's that costing you? What's the opportunity cost? And figure out a way to measure that so they can see it, so they can feel it and see it. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's awesome advice right there because a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to spend $1,000 on that or what's my ROI on that? But if, say, having a podcast will let's say it costs them $1,000 a month for my services, but they're able to talk to people and land a $10,000 client because they have the podcast. That's kind of what you're talking about, the 10x thing and and being able to show them. Of course, I guess you first need to understand what business they're in and how much the client is worth to them or whatever it is that they're selling. And then some math with that. Correct. So, but there's also direct benefit and indirect benefit as well. So, you got, the client is ten thousand dollars, which is immediate direct benefit. But there could also be indirect benefit of repurposing that content, maybe getting guest speaker spots on other podcasts, but also maybe speaking at engagement events or engaging at conferences. Or there's a lot of other indirect benefits they may or may not consider. So, you as a subject matter expert, as a podcast coach, it's your job to highlight the step two, three, and four indirect benefits that you know comes from having a podcast that they may not have considered. So, in your world, you know the advantage of podcasting where you should know the advantage of podcasting intimately. In my world, with my past and sales market fit, and when I was at another company called Red Eye, I knew the indirect benefits, which are not easy to see. And it's my job to point them out, to turn that problem from $1,000 a month into $10,000 benefit, plus a $20,000 benefit, plus a $30,000 benefit in the long run and medium term. All of a sudden, you've turned that $1,000 cost into $30,000 of benefit, overall benefit, direct and indirect. I I feel like these are things I probably knew somewhere in the back of my head, but just it wasn't at the forefront when I'm, I I mean, I knew that I needed to target business owners, whatever kind of business that is, because Mm -hmm. yeah, people create podcasts for fun uh, and talk about their hobbies and stuff, but they're not going to want to spend however much to have a podcast produced if it's just for fun. So I knew I needed to target businesses and stuff, but I didn't really have kind of like a structure or a game plan. And now I'm kind of visualizing it in my head right now. There's no magic bullet to this. It's incremental improvement over time. It's like 
I draw so many comparisons for what if we can see it in nature in other areas and we can apply it to business, it's far more stable process, I believe. So when we you need to learn to walk before you can run. There's no sense in if you go, well, I need to scale the business, I'm going to bring in a hundred thousand dollars, I'm going to outsource the sales function. You don't know whether they're right or not. You don't have the framework to to say, hey, this is the path to success. You're really outsourcing and hoping. And that happens a lot with business as well. I, I've seen it. I've worked in it where they go, well, hey, this guy worked a large software company or X. And I was like, they're the wrong type of people. You're just outsourcing it and hoping for the best. You really need to work before you can run. And I believe that's the basis of the frugalpreneur is don't overspend, learn, take your time. You will learn far more if you walk one through and you go, oh, that was good. I can see that pattern. Let's do it again and let's do it again. And even in my business today with my past, we do that. I was like, some of our clients are service providers. They're the largest revenue generator in the business. And I said to the CEO, I said, walk me through the journey. He never thought about it. And it was like, I went from 50 employees to 400. Then a GM got involved and I went to four and a half thousand. I was like, that's a pattern, Matt. That's the technology adoption curve on a micro level. And I was like, show me another client service provider. And they're on the same journey. I said, there's a pattern here, Matt. Let's walk through and try to replicate it. And then let's speed it up as we go. Right now I'm doing everything myself. And I, and you know, everyone says, well, at a certain point you have to start delegating and outsourcing this, that, or the other thing. But I guess what you're saying is that initially starting out, but even maybe permanently don't outsource the sales portion, I guess. You always need to be your own salesperson or just initially? No, that's not what I'm saying is, I mean, you need to create the framework and know the path to to revenue with your client. So, if you go, we can help you with these direct costs, indirect costs, and and I'm only making these assumptions, right? You need to go test it with your market. And once you go, you'll see it that you or you'll feel it. So, when you think about it and you go, oh, wow, that's you see something that you never saw before. And a sale is ultimately mindset change from not wanting you to, wow, that's value I'll buy. Now, as you go through in a get more complex on larger scale, they still do the same thing. It's, wow, I see the value I buy, then business process kicks in and it's a then you have to follow business process. But in one decision maker, they'll see it and they'll feel the emotion and they'll they'll more than likely buy. So you're working towards that. You need, I believe you need to own that process. So you can say, I know that we need to do something like this to get them to see it, then they'll purchase. Because then you can hire salespeople and you go, this is the process to revenue quicker. And you can manage them through that, your sales team through that. Tell me, have you done this problem definition exercise with them? And they'll go, no, I haven't. Well, well, that's why it's not moving forward. It's when you don't know how to get them to revenue and you outsource it, you're really, you're throwing the dice. So do it yourself first, understand the framework. Once you see that it's working, then you can outsource and provide the framework to those salespeople. Yeah. And you don't, the framework doesn't have to be perfect. You can know that it gets there. Then you can go to a team, critical problem solving. And like our CEO in my business now is he knows how to get companies through tenacity through, but he has all this intrinsic knowledge or tacit knowledge I need to pry out of him and put into a process and go, yes, that doesn't work for a salesperson, only works for a founder. Yes. And we'll add it. Then we'll get other people in and someone in my sales team goes, yeah, this framework's great. Consider this. And we're we're building to the same body of knowledge. We're not working individually. So, But as a founder or an owner of a business, you need to own it because the only guarantee is you'll be there next year. The salesperson may or may not be there in a period of time. So you need to own it and be understand what's going on. 
Another thing that you talk about is how customer service is the foundation of sales success. We see these movies, you know, the boiler rooms of the world where, or the Wolf of Wall Street of the world where these sales people that are trying to get people to buy and it, it just doesn't work. When we think about it, a sale at its most fundamental basis, it's a consequence. It's a lag indicator and it's a lag indicator of someone deciding to buy. I can't tell you what to do, Sarah. There's only a very limited number of people in your life that have the ability to tell you what to do. And that's probably loved ones, close friends, or or whatever. Definitely salesperson can't tell you what to do. So it makes sense to provide a great customer service experience. And I'm not talking about, hey, Sarah, how are you? Or just being friendly. That's part of it. But it's about knowing the journey that you need to go on better than you do so I can be two steps ahead and lead you to the right outcome for you to get the right value from our interaction and have the awareness if it went not the right fit to go, hey, Sarah, this isn't right for you. You're not at the right stage. So, if you think about a guide, for instance, a guide on a holiday would know exactly the things to see, what not, what areas of a town not to go to or what you'd really like and actually guide you through that experience. And I think a salesperson is there in any business, whether it be a a solopreneur or in a larger startup or a larger business, we own the customer service experience because we set the tone for the rest of the interaction once they get into the business. It's about clearing speed humps down the track or if you're dealing with a larger business, common sense tells you or tells me that they're going to have to submit some type of business case, some type of approval to someone. So we might as well lead them in that and help them and reduce that friction that they have to go through. Then we can influence them, influence the problem to really maximize our value. And it's the same in your world of podcasting. Influence their thinking to maximize their problems of not having a podcast. Because if you can maximize that or show what the opportunity cost of them not doing that, then it's a natural progression to go, hey, a podcast can solve this. And for a couple of hours a week, $1,000 a month, you could actually get X, Y, Z benefit that you may not have considered plus new clients that all of a sudden you become a trusted partner because the value you're offering is way more than $1,000. Walk through it. Make sure you're getting the results one, two, three, four times and then figure out the parts you can automate because you can't, you don't want to be doing that every time. You want to get more efficient as you go. And, you know, say work takes five hours to, in your case, to get a client to say yes, for instance, for a thousand dollars for the first one, you go, okay, well, what can I replicate there? So I don't have to do five hours. How can I get it to four and a half? Or how can I get it to three? Then how can I get it to two and a half? And then you go, well, hang on, I can't go any further than two hours. Two hours is what I would need, typically need to do to get a client. That's how much I need to spend with every client, more or less on average to get them to say yes. And that's Mm -hmm. incremental improvement over time. Yeah. Awesome. And, And what does your business sales market fit? What exactly do you do or help with? Sales market fit is about change founders and their team, sales team, or anyone who is being part of a sales process. It's changing the perspective of it's not about us looking out to the sale. It's about how we're received and how we position our message to help people with mindset change from, hey, I don't know who you are to, wow, I really need what you're offering and buy. So it's about helping a company understand and find the right sales approach for their tiers within their markets and their buying personas, and then creating the tools in each one of those stages to not sell, but just to move them from one stage to another. I think about it like a game of golf. You can quickly lose a game of golf on the first hole. You can't win it, 
but you can definitely lose it by hitting 20 or something like that. So it's about, it's sale is like that. You could go in and approach someone and quickly lose break all rapport, not get a chance for a second conversation. And that's a sale gone. You know, you might not get it, but you can definitely get to the next stage of a discovery call or a bigger call or whatever your sales process is. It's about that. And I think you had mentioned before we started that you have a free download and a calculator. Yeah. So there's a, I have a three-step sales strategy for B2B. It's the activity calculator is what revenue goals do you have for the year for your business? And then you really need to turn those goals into action. So what actions do you need to take on a week-to-week basis? to actually deliver those goals and and knowing through a sales pipeline that you know people fall out over time I'm definitely going to need to to grab that myself and where do people go to get that if you go to go.salesmarketfit.co uh, forward slash guide you'll be able to download that from there I've got a page there where you can download that content. I'll also have show notes with a link to that and different things we talked about at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash Gavin Ty. That's G-A-V-I-N-T-Y-E. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And was there anything else that you wanted to touch on that we hadn't yet? My only advice to anyone who is selling or needs to sell for their business is it can be difficult with when emotion's involved, you know, if we're a solopreneur or a, even a founder of a business is when emotion gets involved, it's hard to, it clouds our judgment. And I do the same in my business. I talk about, hey, I know sales like this. And it's really not about that. It's about who you're speaking to and how do you help them on their journey? What I would recommend is just think about their perspective. Even when you write emails, most people write emails with I this, I that, and they're writing from your perspective to whoever you're reading. Consider writing it to their perspective and limit the amount of I's. And it's just about a fundamental change in perspective will help you ultimately accelerate sales because you're considering the buyer, which is it's their choice to buy first before you can sell. Businesses don't have a sales problem. They have a demand problem. Sarah, if you, you could sell 20 courses tomorrow. That's not a problem in your business. The problem you have is demand. How do you get people who want 20 of your courses tomorrow? So if you work on the demand by creating demand, then the rest will work itself out. That's my advice. And I live by that every day in what I'm doing and everything. My mission is to help people and businesses. I've learned a lot that I'm going to implement right away. So and I imagine the listeners will have a lot to implement as well. So thank you so much again for your time. No worries. And you look and I can be contacted on the website if anyone has any questions I'm more to share. I'm more than happy to share my experience as well. So thank you very much for your time, Sarah. And if there's anything I can help you with, please let me know. Be sure to grab your free copy of my list of 27 tools, resources, and software programs I use to run my businesses on a tight budget. You can get it at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash 27 tools. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N.com forward slash 27 tools. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack. Connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. 
Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.